and welcome to the GMC podcast, the place where you can listen to the weekly word from God and other highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. This podcast brings you the sermon series, Matthew, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the King. There are five teaching blocks in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples. He'd previously been a tax collector, but was also a witness to the ministry and life of Jesus. In this first part of the series, we will take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. This is a keynote block of teaching in which Jesus introduces his listeners and you and I today to a new age that Jesus himself was heralding. In Matthew's writing, he, Matthew, draws the reader and the listener to see the evidence for themselves of the expected king, the Messiah who is Jesus, and asks you to understand both his identity and his authority as king. Jesus' ministry had already excited people in his time. He had drawn crowds and his teaching on the mount explains what it means to live under his kingly rule. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. And over a nine-week period, we will encourage you to respond to God's word and challenge of Jesus Christ as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. But now, before we hear the word of God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Loving God and loving Father, we would praise you this morning for your wonderful, eternal, and all-embracing love. We praise you for Jesus who came to this world, your world, to bring your loving purpose to its climax by confronting evil, by accepting death and by mastering both in his glorious resurrection. Lord, we praise you for your love in Jesus that's so alive today in every nation, filling human lives with hope, with joy, with praise, praise that will continue to increase to give you glory everywhere. So, eternal Father, we come to you knowing that we won't be turned away this morning because you receive us in your tender, fatherly love. Wherever we go, you go with us. In all of life's trials and triumphs, you're there for us. When we die, even death itself shall not separate us from your love because we'll be raised, we'll be glorified, accepted as your children and received into the fullness of your love in heaven. Living God, in the meantime, please keep your church eloquent and active in the life of the world until you have accomplished all that you began in Jesus. Forgive us, we pray our sinfulness. All our bigotry, our prejudices, our narrow-mindedness. Forgive us our too easy rejection of other people. 
Forgive us for rejecting compassion and humility by our snobbery or our contempt. So, Heavenly Father, please warm our cold hearts, enliven our dull minds, and invigorate our reluctant spirits so that we may love and serve you in loving and serving our neighbors and sharing with them the good news that we have received ourselves. Father, help us so to trust ourselves to your love and to be so confident in your truth that we'll reach out to all our neighbors to share what we ourselves possess. So help us to receive from you this morning through the words of Jesus himself, new insights into your will for us, new visions of your purpose as it affects all of humanity. And so may you be glorified in us as you've been glorified already in Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Following the time of prayer, I hope your heart is prepared to receive from God's word that you are open to be reached wherever you are today. If anything you hear from our preacher today, from the word of God and the sermon challenges you, may be raising questions, then please feel free to contact us. If you want to know more about how we can support you in your faith, or indeed answer questions of faith, we'd love to help you get to know the Lord and go deeper with him. Or maybe you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom. If so, then please get in touch through our Contact Us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org, or via our Facebook page. Whatever you need, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Now, over to our preacher. Today we start with Matthew's Gospel. Um, for those of you who were here last week, uh, may have seen a bit of a different experience with your preacher up the front. Um, kind of lost my place and the Lord took over and it was a bit disconcerting. Uh, I kind of got home and struggled last Sunday afternoon to try and make sense of it and look back through my notes. And A lot of what I covered uh, wasn't in my notes, um, but there was one thing from my notes before we move on. A few weeks ago, I talked about uh, speeding. You know, I think it was uh, the week before on Malachi where I said, if you have ever got caught speeding, it's like blaming the camera for your fine. It's like blaming God for things going wrong in your life. That was the analogy. But last week, I was going to use the analogy of speeding again. Not that I regularly get caught speeding. That was maybe something when I was younger, a few times. But the analogy was this, because last week it talked, the, the, the part of what I was talking about was judgment. Yeah? And, and that's not something that goes down well in the world when we talk about sin and judgment. And the kind of analogy with the speeding here is that the idea of a fine is judgment for something you've done wrong. But quite often our world doesn't want negative reinforcement. They want lots of positivity. Everything's good. 
So you reinforce against bad behavior by suggesting the good side of things. So the good thing, reason not to speed, would be to conserve fuel, stop pollution, potentially stop high-speed accidents. There's lots of good things that come from speeding. And if everyone believed the good stuff, no one would speed. But they don't. And so they need the negativity of the potential flash and a fine or a ban from driving. We need the judgment alongside the positivity. And that's kind of one thing that I, I kind of missed last week that I just wanted to bring in. But we've, we're done with Malachi. And I can't quite believe in my fifth year that as a minister here at Gillespie, I haven't yet preached through a gospel. I've preached from the Gospels. We've, in my time here, I, I look back to see what we've done. We've had l- series from Paul's letters, of course, from Old Testament prophets. We finished one last week. We had a series on the Acts of the Apostles. Um, we've done thematic series. I think I started with one on servant-heartedness. We did one on prayer. We did 12-step Christianity. Do you remember that? Stewardship, growing young, servant-heartedness. And of course, that summer series last year on love. Do you know this, the word, the thing we just heard from that video there, is the gift that just keeps giving year after year, decade after decade, century after century, bringing God's people into relationship with him. This book reveals God's story with his world, it reveals his intentions for the world, it reveals his intentions for his people, made in his image. So just as I was led to bring the word of the Lord from Malachi, so too I have been challenged in my spirit, by the spirit, to dive into the gospels, the good news of Christ, because after all, we can only call ourselves Christians because of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's, it's where we collectively get that noun of what we're called, Christians. And we come to know Jesus through the Gospels, through Matthew, through Mark and Luke and John. That's how we come to know Jesus, who he is. Now, of course, I have not ignored the Gospels in fi- almost five years here. I've preached, of course, at Advent and Christmas and Easter, and I've taken some passages from the gospel on some of our thematic journeys. But for the rest of this year and into next year, we are going to go into the deep riches of the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We quite often call them the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of John. They're technically not the good news of John, They're the good news of Jesus, written by John, or written by Matthew. So the gospel according to. And what I'm not going to do is a line-by-line exposition of the gospel, from chapter 1, verse 1, right through to the end, 28, verse 20. It's not going to be that. But the way I'm going to look at it is to look at the five great teaching blocks found in Matthew. I don't know whether you know that Matthew is kind of unique. He has five teaching blocks, distinctive to his gospel. And through, through this series, this year and into next, we'll attempt to show 
Matthew's thread of thought as he develops the gospel moving from the old into the new. Of course, last week, Malachi closes out the Old Testament. 400 years, 440 years-ish of kind of silence of God, and then Jesus. It, of course, means we'll be missing out some bits of Matthew. So can I encourage you? This year, into next year, maybe at least once a month, find some quiet time. Sit down, take your Bibles, and read Matthew from beginning to end in one go. It will encourage you. It will enable you to see how Matthew compiles his gospel. We've got four books that give us the story of Jesus in different ways. Still the same story, but slightly different views, written for slightly different audiences. Every book of the Bible, of course, is written for a purpose. It has an agenda, if I can even say that. They are written by the human hand, but they're inspired by God, by Holy Spirit. And as one, as one Bible, as 66 books, there is a unity. There is a coherence in how they hold together. But there's also, of course, an individuality of every single book, a letter, tells a story at a different point in time and history in different actions that were taking place. They deliver different messages. But they all are coherent around the person of Jesus. All of them. It's about the relationship between God and his created world with a real focus on us, humans, humanity. And Quite often, there's a key to understanding each book. It's trying to understand the reason for its existence, why it's here in the Bible, and that is trying to find its unifying message. And Matthew has one. The main one is simply this, that Jesus is the culmination, the the fruit, if you like, of of everything that's been there in the whole Testament, and Jesus culminates in his ministry, and then will continue after, but it is the fulfillment of the whole biblical story. Matthew tries to say, this man is the fulfillment of God's story. But let me take a step back. This is all by way of introduction. Uh, Today, although it says Jesus is Sermon on the Mount, We're not starting with it today. You're thinking, this is a long introduction. This is an introduction uh, to this series. So who's Matthew? Simply, a tax collector. Well, that's who he was. We're told this in the very gospel, Matthew, the one he wrote in chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, but we also find it in Mark's gospel in chapter 2 and Luke's gospel, chapter 5. The gospel, of course, though, is anonymous. It doesn't, it, it, it's not there, it's printed in a book with, published by Zondervan, by Matthew, the tax collector. That's not what they did back then. There was no royalties needing to be collected. There was no bestseller list to go on. Though, of course, the Bible is a top of the bestseller list every single year. They just don't put it there. So, it, it is anonymous but it was attributed to Matthew very early on. Don't believe the academics out there who say, we can't know who wrote it. I trust it was written by Matthew, the tax collector. 
And it's a story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, that had been shared orally since Jesus' death to when this was written, in the mid to latter part of the first century. All the Gospels were completed before the end of that first century. And they, they were passed down orally. And then these people, the witnesses, John and Matthew, recorded what they knew of the time they spent. I can imagine these people getting towards the latter days of their life going, and these, these stories have been shared, and they need to pull them together into a written narrative that can then be passed down future generations. So you've got um, Matthew and John who were witnesses, and then you've got uh, Mark and Luke, who were not witnesses there and then with Jesus, but they were very close to those who were, recorded, and they write these words for posterity in the Gospels that we read today. So Jesus had called Matthew to follow him, you know, come and follow me. He goes off to his house, has a meal, eats with him, eats with the sinners. He makes this call up on him. And it's this same Matthew, this guy who'd been a tax collector, uses his analytical skills, his recall of memory that he would have had in that job that was hated by his fellow Jews because he was seen colluding with the Roman authorities, collecting taxes from them, ripping them off. And so it's that man who records what we have here today. I think Jesus kind of knew what he was doing when Jesus called him from that tax booth. This is the guy. This is the guy who's got it and he's going to remember it and he's going to record it. And so, as I said, this message is primarily written by Matthew to convey that Jesus, Son of God, fulfills all that God intends, all that God spoke of through the Old Testament. And he points forward to a culmination of things. And these play out in three primary themes. The first is that Jesus came from the line of David. The second is that Jesus is God with us. And the third is that Jesus is the new Moses. So that, that he was from the line of David is the very first thing we find in Matthew's Gospel. It's a genealogy. Most people turn to it and go, oh really? It's just a bunch of names starting with Abraham and finishing with uh, Jesus. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. It's not a full family tree. Not every single name is mentioned. But it's the important ones. And Matthew pulls them into a, a format. Three groups of 14. Seven is, was, and is considered the perfect number. In Hebrew culture, in, in the Old Testament, seven is an important number. And so here we find groups of two times seven, 14. Double perfection, if you like. Three groups of 14 names. Or is it? Because actually in the last one, there's 13 technically. But if you add Jesus in, it's 14. Loads of people, academics, have tried to, to, to pull these together because Luke has a list. 
that has some different names. We need not get hung up on that. But if you like kind of numbers and stuffs, what does these names mean? In, in ancient languages, often letters were ascribed a numerical number. Is that significant, the number 14? Because if you add up the letters that make King David's name, David's name, they add up to 14. Significance. Jesus coming from the line of David. But do you know whatever it is? I'm not particularly hung up on it. I am constantly amazed by the intricacy, the creativity of God's word. And so this list of three groups of 14, whether they signify this number 14, David's name coming from David, or whether it's this idea of perfection multiplied by two, or actually is it multiplied by six? Because you've got three groups of 14. Two 14s times three, so that's actually six sevens. I've not found this in a commentary, but is that to do with creation? Six days of creation, six days of perfect creation followed by the seventh day on which he rested. And what happens on the seventh? The Lord is here. So whatever this significance of this genealogy, fulfillment is found, Matthew says, in that the Messiah would come from the stump of Jesse, King David's father, from a prophecy in Isaiah 11. Then after the genealogy, we have the nativity, the promise, and the birth of Jesus. And Matthew references Isaiah again. This time, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Jesus is God with us. Matthew so wants to embed that in his hearers, in his listeners' mind, that Jesus is God with us. He's both the fulfillment of the promised Messiah from the line of David and he's God with us. And that remaining major theme is that Jesus is the new Moses. And you might think, really, what's that got to do with things? Well, he was the greater Moses introducing a greater radical higher righteousness that somehow transponded, was greater than the Mosaic law. If you think of, we'll get onto them, some of these teachings of Jesus where he talks about um, adultery. He says that if you just look at someone lustfully, pluck out your eye. Jesus asked for more than the Mosaic law. He is the new Moses. There are echoes of Moses in Jesus' life story. I mean, there are some real ones. Just as Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea, so did Jesus come up out of Egypt after his flight there when Herod was wanting to kill all the children. Similar. Both came out up out of Egypt. I mentioned Moses brought the Israelites through the Red Sea, ultimately bringing them to the edge of the Jordan. Jesus came to his ministry through baptism in water in the Jordan. Moses led the Israelites, the grumbling, moaning Israelites, for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus suffers his, or not suffers, deals with his temptation in the desert for 40 days. Where did Moses go to receive the word, the teachings of God, of Yahweh? He went up the mountain. Where does Jesus start his ministry of teaching? 
on the mountain. Jesus, like Moses, came to deliver God's people from slavery. Moses came. He came back to Egypt. He'd fled there. He comes back to Egypt to lead the people from slavery. But Jesus comes to lead people from slavery to sin and bring divine teaching to install a covenant between God and his people, a new covenant. And so, I mentioned there are five blocks of teaching. I think that's no accident either. It echoes the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books ascribed to Moses. There are five distinct blocks of teaching. So Matthew has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to craft his gospel in such a way as to make these themes known, these reference points. There's complexity in the canon of the Bible, but in a sense, there is such a simplicity that hangs together just telling the story of God and his people and his relationship to them. He desires to have a relationship with you and I, and we can find it here, and it just blows me away, and I hope you too. So these opening chapters of Matthew, they highlight the pedigree of Jesus, the awaited Messiah, the rightful king, the representative of Israel, Israel's fulfillment of prophecy. So Matthew is saying here is one greater than Moses, giving the people God's law, not written on tablets of stone, but written on their hearts. And it's this new law, if you like, these new teachings that we will read, we will listen to, hopefully we will absorb and take into our own hearts over the coming months. And so, to set the scene for this coming series, that, as I said, there are five. So we've got the Sermon on the Mount, is the first teaching block, chapter five to seven. Then we'll move on to, later this year, and we'll fit that in before Advent, a discourse in chapter 10. And that one is Jesus preparing his disciples to send them out on their missionary work. It's teaching them. Then next year, we'll go into chapter 13, the parables the teaching in the parables where Jesus starts to speak of the kingdom of God. Chapter 18, not, I haven't even done next year's plan, so when these will come exactly, I'm not sure. But chapter 18 will deal with discipleship. Sincere requirements of life in the kingdom. To be in a kingdom community. What does that mean? And the final section of teaching is an eschatological discourse, an end times discourse, teaching found in chapters 24 and 25 about the end of the present age. The writing from Matthew is masterful. This former tax collector, sinner, friend and disciple of Jesus has left us a gem. So our reading, and we do have one, short reading, comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. And I better turn to it. Hear the word of God. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. 
land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Amen. And thanks God for the reading of his word. So this is setting the scene for the Sermon on the Mount next week. We've travelled very quickly from Jesus' genealogy to the River Jordan where he was baptised after the flight from Egypt. Jesus has gone to the desert, this place of trial and temptation with the devil. And then we reach this passage, the one I've just read. John has been arrested. He will soon leave the stage. His work is done fulfilling Isaiah's passage, Isaiah's prophetic words. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John has fulfilled that. And now Jesus travels. Jesus travels to the lands of Galilee. Matthew has taken again this prophecy that we just heard there from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And he fits the the context of Jesus arriving in the land, heading to this town of Capernaum as a fulfillment of prophecy. And this really just leaves two main points that I want to stress in the last few minutes before we move on to worship and singing to close out our praise today. And these two things are the light of Christ and the kingdom of heaven. They set up the major theme of the whole of Matthew's gospel, the light of Christ and the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah's prophecy speaks of a a light addressing the problem of darkness in the world. And darkness is a problem. It's always a problem. I used to work in the nighttime economy. Tend not to have people fighting in pubs and stuff during the day, though I suppose it happens. Criminality and stuff often happens in the nighttime hours. We hear phrases such as dark arts, dark magic, the dark web. When things have the word dark appended to them, they tend not to be good. Darkness in humanity can be both external and internal, though. We, our sins, our transgressions are the outward working of the darkness of the human soul, but it's the inward. The darkness of the heart is the real problem. And it's this that Israel has been called to witness to. So what we heard in Malachi, that the people are not witnessing. God. They were God's people and they were to witness in a different way and live a different way, to be witnesses of the light. But they'd failed miserably. They'd been overwhelmed by their sinfulness. They became part of the problem. They were blaming God for their situation rather than their own actions. Darkness, as it says in this passage, lay over the land. But then, to these people dwelling in darkness, a region and a shadow of death comes a light. A light has dawned, a great light. Jesus, the light bringer, the banisher of darkness, comes. And he begins to preach. 
Jesus began to preach. And it, it is the right translation, but it's not preaching like many people might have a connotation of preaching. The Greek word kerousein is perhaps better translated to herald. Jesus came to herald. Herald is someone who comes with a proclamation from the king. They come with the king's authority. They come with words of certainty. They come with something from a source beyond themselves. That's what good preaching should be. When you come, what, not with what your own thoughts are, but you go to the word of God and you're faithful to what the Lord is putting on your heart, that is good preaching. But when you start to bring your own thoughts into it, that is not pre what preaching should be. That's why I think it can have a bad word. But Jesus is a herald. He comes with God's word and authority and a new covenant. For God is doing a new thing. And so he preaches this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's the key to our passage. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew phrases it, the kingdom of heaven, and, and I think we can think it's about something kind of ethereal out there. You know, when, when people, especially non-Christians, think of heaven, they think of angels and fluffy white clouds and Morgan Freeman on, up, up there with his white hair and his white suit on. You know what I mean? And that's not what they're talking about. The other Gospels call it the kingdom of God. But Matthew, his audience is Jewish. And if you know anything about the Jews, they do not utter the name of God. Yahweh, you, you can't call the name of God. So the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are one and the same thing. They would just know that that's what Matthew meant. But whether you call it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what they would understand was it meant revolution. Revolution. Because what the Israelites were expecting was an overthrow of Roman rule a return to the nation-state of Israel. Because in their own hearts, if they represented God's special people, then surely God wouldn't have foreign rulers ruling over them. That couldn't be God's will. If they were God's special people, they should have their own place, nobody ruling over them. Surely God would rescue them and just put it all right. That's what the coming Messiah meant. That's the sort of revolution. But that was putting them in a place of being in power, them being king. Actually, the promise of God meant one thing, that he, God, would be king. Yes, he would be their king, but he'd also be king of the whole world. He would bring justice and peace, a revolution in a world of darkness, a world where everything would turn upside down as the light penetrated and dispelled the darkness. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And what he's asking them to do? Repent. And repentance isn't about feeling sorry, feeling a bit guilty and going, sorry, won't do it again. What it means is stop. Stop doing it. Stop what you're doing and turn around, turn around 180 degrees. Change direction. Do the opposite of the sinful things in your life. 
And the problem with the nation of Israel is that they were not doing that. They were fighting darkness with darkness. They were seeking violent revolution against their oppressors and doing it in God's name. Blasphemy. Instead, the Messiah Jesus comes and he says, turn from dark ways, travel to the light. Travel in the light. Let the light into your heart. God's kingdom of light and peace, of healing and forgiveness, God's kingdom of mercy and grace is given for all of the world. It's a message we know that will culminate at the cross of Calvary. But for now, in the coming weeks and months, we will open up the teachings of Jesus. And next week, we will do that with a Sermon on the Mount. And my challenge to you all is, as we do it, allow God's kingdom to extend into your hearts and allow our church to extend the kingdom of heaven into our community and the world. So will you join us as a church in repentance? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let us all work walk together in the light of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for Matthew. We thank you for his word. We thank you for its translation to English. We can have it in our own language today. Father, thank you for its complexity, its simpleness, its unifying message, and thank you that it brings the light of Jesus into our lives. Lord, I commend this series to you. I thank you for uh, what is to come, the preachers who are to bring the message for your audience here. Father, will you just use us mightily and that we may take on the teachings of Jesus daily in our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday podcast from our team at GMC Dunfermline, Scotland. If you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search for Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the contact us page on our website by calling the office. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Barbara Ann Hoey, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thank you for listening, and God bless.